Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 364. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here today. And I know we're going to have a fabulous conversation. So before we even jump in, before I even introduce our fabulous guest, I want to ask you if when you have a moment, if you could just swipe up, down, left, right, whatever on your player, on your smartphone, or go on your computer and leave a rating and review for this episode. So with that said, I want to introduce our fabulous guest today, Sylvia Becker-Hill. Sylvia is the founder of the Becker-Hill Women's Empowerment School. I'm so happy to have you here. Ditto, my dear. I'm excited. We had such a great connection at the New Media Summit, and here we are. Oh, we absolutely did. And before I go any further, I just have to ask, and I'm sorry, this is not supposed to be my theme today. We had a little bit of a, a pre-chat chat, which I'm going to leave in the pre-chat because it will embarrass the heck out of me. But Sylvia, were you there in the ladies room when I had to yell positive productivity is not about perfection and there's no toilet paper here? Were you one of the ones who saved me? <laughs> I love that motto of yours, but I was not in that moment. In the oh my gosh, <laughs> I got so many laughs and they're like, they knew exactly who it was. They're like, Kim! Which stall are you in? I'll bring you toilet paper. <laughs> I did it once and we rolled the toilet papers and then the, you know how they get stuck on the tile sometimes on the floor. Yeah. So the toilet paper will rolled out through all the stalls and in the last one where the other person was sitting, it was empty. <laughs> that's so fabulous. See, women's empowerment, rolling toilet paper, you know. I know that's not where we're going to take this, but it's still hilarious. We can empower each other even in the ladies room. Yeah. Well, and that's a big paradigm shift. You know, the, the mean girls, they would have kept the toilet paper for themselves. Yes. But we are uplifting all women. So we share what we have. And if it goes down to toilet paper. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I would love if you would give yourself a more proper introduction, because I know I absolutely did not give you justice, although it might have been hilarious to listeners. So tell us about yourself more. How did you get to where you are today? I don't know if I just said that properly in a way that other people understand and what you do. Okay, so to make a long story short, it starts with my early childhood. I've been raised with uh, two parents back in Germany, you hear it from my accent, who were deeply traumatized by the Second World War. So when I was born into this family of people who lived very constrained, always in this box of what might the neighbors think with lots of fears. And I felt always this kind of energy in me of freedom, wanting to be free, wanting to express myself and watching my mom throughout her whole life, always feeling like a victim, always being, you know, like a big lid on a tiny pot, always pushed down. Even as a teenager, I felt this strong urge and commitment not to live like her and also to do whatever it takes and what is in my power to help other women not to experience this pain of unlived potential. So that is really a key of my inner motivation and driver for my work. When I see people, and especially women, and I see them, this is one of my genius, I see the vision of 
people. I see their essence. I see their brightness. And then I see compared to that how they live and, and how constrained they are. This waste of human potential just drives me nuts. It makes me angry. It makes me cry. This is We have to do something about it. And I know you do something about it with positive productivity. So over the years, I studied gender studies. I studied, studied leadership, philosophy, linguistics, a ton of things. I'm in business now for over 20 years. I was a pioneer back in Germany in the coaching industry. And sure, at first I worked mainly with men because at that time coaching was only a service which uh, was uh, used for top executives. And at that time, there were not so many men in this realm of the world. But then more and more women showed up and I reconnected with my passion and my love for seeing women shine. So I can proudly say that there are now worldwide a few top CEOs, CFOs and presidents, women who got into this position because I supported them with my background in neuroscience and change management, not only to break through the glass ceilings in their environment, in their companies, but also I like to say the glass ceilings between our own ears. Because you, Kim, I, we grow up in the patriarchal culture, so we all are ingrained with all these shoulds and things we are not supposed to do and be quiet, be safe, be beautiful, all these patriarchal commandments on us women which are stifling us and, st and strangling us. And it's really a lot of inner work women have to do to break free. And that's my core mission. And not in a realm of against men. My Becker Hill Women's Empowerment School, I have also programs and services for men because I love to work with male champions of change, with uh, corporate C male CEOs who are committed to turn the whole company around, basing it in gender equality, diversity, and inclusion. So I'm writing books, I do speaking, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, I do corporate programs, and this new school will start in fall to roll out online programs so that I can reach women really in all, around the world in all corners. My husband is from New Zealand, I'm from Germany, we live in California, so my, my attention, my social connections go literally around the world, and uh, it's just my life's uh, mission summarized in two numbers. 30-30, 30% more women in all leadership circles around the world, over all industries by the year 2030. Oh, so I, I have that. Can I ask you a quick question before sure. we go any further? I would love to know if you think that the glass ceiling in the establishment or the glass ceiling in our own head, which one's stronger and harder to break? Uh, the one in our own head because mm -hmm. it's more uh, painful and it takes more of from the individual. The glass ceilings in corporations, they are crumbling everywhere. Any kind of backlash and I don't go into politics, I will not name any people, but anything you see right now in the media of some kind of backlash are symptoms of a crumbling, dying patriarchy which is resisting its own death. So that is already going on. So evolution, you can't stop evolution. And we are in this exciting transition time between the patriarchy and now this is hopefully a good news for all the listeners the next phase of evolution 
will be true partnership between men and women. And now it's on us, women and men, to get ready for that. And that means we all have to heal and integrate the patriarchy in our own brain. And that, depending how much there is, and that some people have easier job around that. I was pretty, you know, screwed, neurotic, being in a family of literally my parents are still alive over 80, but their psyche are frozen in their childhood state because they were so traumatized. They both were refugees during the Second World War, etc. So there's a lot of inherited trauma and patterns I had to discover throughout my life and use coaching and self-management tools, emotional intelligence, etc. to heal it. So sadly, the internal job we have to do is harder than the external one. But this is another good news. It gets easier as more people do it. And thanks to the internet, seriously, we have access to everything we need to do that. I mean, on YouTube, you find for any kind of self-development question, you find the right trainer, mentor, knowledge tool, you, you find it somewhere. And I'm so grateful to be alive right now. These are historically really epic, epic times of change. And I love it. Oh, absolutely. I was joking just earlier this week on a podcast how when I was a teenager, because my teenager and my tween like to complain about download time sometimes on the internet. <laughs> and I'm like, look, you know, while my grandfather would have said to me, when I was your age, I had to walk eight miles to school. I mean, I have to tell my kids, when I was your age, I had a 58.6K modem. So it took eight <laughs> minutes for a page to load. And now look at you, you're complaining that it's taking five seconds rather than a second and a half. And then I've got the younger ones that are coming up behind them who are only three now. I can only imagine what they're going to be experiencing in the next 10 years when they're teenagers or, oh, my goodness, what they're going to be experiencing when they're my age. That makes me sound ancient, but I don't mean it like that. No, you are younger than me because when I started uh, to study at university, I used typewriter still to work my th- to type my thesis and all these kind of things. And do you know how painful that is if you find on a page three misspellings and you have to, you know, use this I don't know the English name for this smeary horrible glue to cover the it white up. Out. And, yeah. Um, white out, yeah. Um, out, Oh my gosh, yeah. The first uh, two years of my university studies, I had no PC, but they were just coming out. Yeah, actually, I went to college for interior architecture, and they didn't want us doing anything on the computer. (laughs) So we had to hand draft all of our plans. And every single project had, you know, multiple floor plans, multiple elevations, and they were all drawn. And oh, my gosh, making a mistake, especially on the finished on board, not just on vellum, where you couldn't delete or erase. It was painful. I'm I'm so happy to not well, number one, not be in that anymore. But um, not to be limited to what can't be erased easily. Yes. Well, in modern technology and your passion for productivity, oh, my God, this is like centuries between where we are now and just 10 years ago. Oh, absolutely. We are centuries in between. And there's been so much growth just in the past. Well, yeah, just in the past 20 years. I mean, look at the 20 years or the 50 years before that. I mean... I saw a funny video on Facebook earlier this week where a girl, I think, had gone to her grandmother's house and the grandmother still had a rotary phone. (laughs) Wonderful. So she was putting her fingers into the little circles trying to figure out how to push the number. And the grandmother is saying, no, you have to spin it. 
She's like, what do you mean I have to spin it? I have to spin it all the way around and wait for it to get all the way back. And sometimes that's how it can feel in our life. Like it's going to take that massive, even though yes. that's that wasn't, I remember having a rotary phone. It doesn't take that long, but sometimes it feels like an eternity compared to what else we're used to right now. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, everybody wants the overnight success story, but what they don't realize is that the overnight success stories, quote, usually have taken five to 10 years. Well, or in my case, uh, 20. I had my business 10 years in Germany, and now I'm here in the United States in my 12th year. And I feel that now I'm finally having my ideal dream business the way my soul I was always longing and yearning for. So I may be a slow starter, but I reinvented myself so often. I had seven different brands, full-blown businesses with different uh, web pages, different folky, etc. And uh, I always longed to have this dream business, not exactly knowing what it was. But now I have it with my school, which reconnects me with my childhood dream. Because being in this family where there was not a lot of laughter and not a lot of light, was quite it was a heavy, big house, dark, and the mood was always dark. I loved going to school. I know most people don't, but I loved going to school and my and books were my first big friends and the light of learning is just my biggest passion. So now I found I'm the founder of my own school and it will be a school where through the internet I can reach people around the world and it's an in-person school here in California where I can bring all my research from the two university degrees, 20 years in corporate, working with uh, thousands of people in workshops and hundreds of people one-on-one -on -one and all together in a way that fosters really the current evolutionary trend going back to full circle to the topic of true partnership between men and women which for me is summarized by a quote one of my first mentors he had it ingrained outside his office in stone literally on the wall it said there can't be peace on this planet as long there is war between men and women And every time I say that, I just felt it again. I have this shower of goosebumps of running down my whole body because for me, that is so true. Absolutely. Actually, I, it wasn't just the husband versus wife and it should never be husband versus wife, but I did feel like it was man versus woman <laughs> in my first marriage because we weren't a team and there were expectations, you know, the male expectations versus the female expectations. And I was not happy in that. I mean, I still, to this day, burn dinner just about every time I tried. I burnt garlic toast earlier this week. It's not that hard. Put it in the <laughs> oven, set a timer for like three minutes, take it out. But I manage to burn it every single time because I get distracted. So my point is, my now husband, who will hopefully be my husband till the end of our days, doesn't even dare to dream, to pigeonhole me into the, you know, the quote, woman roles. He knows that I make more money. He's fine with that. He knows I don't like to cook and that I'm horrible at it. He's happy with that because he loves to cook. So he's reversing some of those gender roles. And I hate that they're even called gender roles. I just had to put that out there. Why are they called <laughs> gender roles? Why can't they just be, I enjoy doing this. Who cares how it used to be done? I'm going to do it. And this is the trend also going back to my passion for the brain. The brains evolutionary, they start to rewire too. I mean, you have kids, I have kids. When I watch my kids playing Minecraft and how quickly they move the cursor, after three, four minutes, I start to feel dizzy and motion sickness in Me my too. stomach. 
Yeah. So their eyes and their brain can follow these fast movements in a way we can't. So I know without even having done surgery and and uh, imaging um, brain imaging on my kids brains i know their brains is differently wired because they can do things my brain can't and the whole gender dichotomy of men and women i mean we know this this is already melting away my kids are already used to the fact they have friends at their school who in early teenage years decided that they are not any longer identifying themselves as girl or as boy, whatever they were growing up with, and they switched and they chose different names and they get the support of their parents holding their bags. I know this is not possible in all schools, in all areas here of the United States around the world, but again, evolution is not a linear process. It's messy, and there are always a few groups of people who are more on the forefront of evolution really driving it then there's the big masses in the middle and then there's always a group who is putting the foot on the brake and not wanting it who are more conservative and we need them all because conservatism is also the part which nurtures that which is precious and valuable from the past so we don't want to throw all babies out with the bathwater. i think it's a saying i hope you say that this way in germany it sounds a bit different how is it said in german i have to i'm curious Wirf das Baby nicht mit dem Wasser raus. Don't throw the baby out with the water. <laughs> oh, I love it. I am 75% German and I wouldn't even be able to attempt that. It's just, yeah. And I'm not trying to, say, I have a glass ceiling on the German pronunciation. I can't roll my R's, can't make all those beautiful sounds. Not that you said anything with a rolled R, but I'm just saying, yeah. What would you say was the defining moment where it became really clear to you that this was what you were meant to be doing? That's a, that's a tricky question because I think because it's so, it was so early in my childhood that I can't even remember a specific moment. I just know over years watching the interaction of my parents and how confined they were in their different roles. Like my father was the one who made the money outside the house. He never cooked. I think he would be able to even burn, uh, cook, boiling the water for tea. And my mother wanted to stay at home, but financially, Financially, that was not possible for them. So she had to work, but believed that was wrong. So she blamed my father for the fact that she had to work. But, so just watching them throughout my childhood installed this desire in me to create a different world, to create a different uh, path for my own life and to create a completely different kind of marriage, which I live now for 18 years. My husband and I, we have a true partnership. I don't even like the way marriage because marriage is so old and is so ingrained with all these gender typical roles i i like to call it doris day and rock hudson i watched these movies uh, when i was a child with with my mom and dad from the united states and and i could see oh my gosh all these movies from the 50s a lot of people are still living marriages accordingly to these rules so i prefer a real partnership where my husband is a much better cook than i am he is much faster and more productive in the household chores and 
we just we fluidly we follow the the strengths and desires and genius traits we both have. So sometimes he plays out the more female roles in the old paradigm, and, and sometimes I play out the more male roles. But then we also switch. So it's more it's a fluid way to live. And this is what I try to say with our kids now. The kids are already more used to these kind of blurriness of the old black and white thinking between gender and their brain gets trained also through modern technology to be much more flexible and faster in adapting to more fluid changing environments and that again is scary for those who have a different mindset who have a more conservative kind of wired brain who want to hold on to the things which are more clear black and white so for me that it's not really one defining moment it's watching my parents and then later in my 20s I have a string of a few quite neurotic partnerships and relationships with men and the pain of breakup oh my gosh each time I thought I go nuts the world breaks down my life ends and was just the end of the world each time and it was so physically and emotionally painful that was another driver for me that I thought oh my gosh I have to figure it out I have to figure out what do men and women truly need in order to come together in a joyful, happy, fulfilling way. And in my mid-twenties, I dedicated literally my life to figure this question out, to find answers. And I changed my university degree to gender studies. And through seriously, for six years, that was my key focus, this one question. And I want, went on a research, a practical research, where I traveled throughout Germany and a bit in Europe to interview men, what they thought about women, what they they thought they need and want and projections. I interviewed women. I started women's groups. I uh, connected with alternative communities who were living uh, factually different concepts of society where women lived in women houses, men and men and the kids different and the different communities had different focus. Some had free love, free sexuality. Some were working on alternative money systems. So for four to six years, I really focused my whole life on this question, what do men and women really need to come together in a joyful, fulfilling, happy way? Because I didn't want to experience this pain again. When you said, though, I'm going to take you back again. You had, what did you say, seven different brands? And yes, yes. I had a similar situation. Before I got to where I am now, I had two different brands. One is sort of still alive just within the Sutton companies. But I had another entrepreneurial journey that I actually just got into because, well, because I was chasing money. I had another career that I was in because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. But it, it wasn't until I went through my own struggle just a couple of years ago that I really realized this is what I was supposed to be doing. So when you got to the point of the women's empowerment school. What did that look like? Like, was it like the, the clouds parting and you were like, this is what I was supposed <laughs> yes. to be doing? Like, how did that show up in your life? 
I worked with a mentor and uh, she still helps me now with my marketing and branding. I call her now my brand guardian. And Ooh, it was. I like that. Brand guardian? Guardian. Yes, that's a term I coined because she shows up for me like that. Because there are also still a few parts in me, in my subconscious mind, of old patterns of fears or self doubt who want to distract me from even my new beloved brand. And so when I speak with her, she is the guardian. She always brings me back to my my own vision. This is why I always have a coach. And this is why I became a coach. You need someone else who holds up the vision for your life, your business, your career up in those moments when you doubt it, when you lose it, when you are distracted. So for me, this process was a very deep soul search. And the question for me was, how can I bring it all together? Because in the past, I had invested so much money in different branding mentors, marketing consultants, etc. I mean, literally, ask my husband, I burned a whole uh, nice house, you could say, like in the Midwestern, uh, on marketing expenses, working, figuring out <laughs> so which, which brand, which brand is the right one. Yeah. And they were all always too small because they came, and this is again, very patriarchal, very male, they were too narrow in the paradigm of you have to choose, you have to niche down, you have to narrow yourself down. Well, duh, I'm highly talented. I have multiple different genius traits. I'm a multidimensional being. I have so much passion, enthusiasm, expertise and content, which fits in the old style into multiple brands. So for me, it was about how can I find a brand which is big enough to embrace all of who I am, what I have to offer and my biggest mission in my life. Simply in the past, even my mentor, they thought too small. And it was this strangling, again, logical, male, here niche down, little tiny box. So working now with this mentor who helped me to reconnect really with my childhood joy of learning and books and also my private hobby. I'm I'm an artist. I love to paint, acrylic pouring. I have a little art studio. So she worked with me putting business for the first few weeks completely aside and helped me to dive deeply into what brings me joy, what brings me delight, what is really makes my soul shiver for ecstasy and what is it what I would do till the end of my life. And it is reading, it is learning, it is doing art, it is helping other people discover the love in everything they do. So we really started from a deep soul level, brought it all together, and then suddenly we, we just analyzed what are the words which are showing up again and again. Where are the overlaps? And suddenly I blurted out when she asked me, Sylvia, what was it what you always wanted to have when you were a little girl? And I said, I wanted to have my own school. And then she said, bam, here you have it. Why not have it? Why not build your own school? It was like, duh. It was so, you know, sometimes the most seemingly difficult things are the most simple and they're so in front of your nose. I that didn't see them. it. Yeah. I, I missed it. I yeah. worked with so many marketing, consulting companies, men and mentors, gurus. And it was, I mean, seriously, school? Yeah, school. I eat books for breakfast. I have in Germany and here, in Germany, I have still an apartment. I have here now a house in California. In each house apartment, I have a library of over 5,000 books. Mm -hmm. Hello, da. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's so, <laughs> so obvious. <laughs> I know this is taking us off of the women's empowerment path for a bit, but I love this conversation. How many O oh does do you think you get on a weekly basis? 
what do you mean, Miss Odas? I I tell myself duh Kim ah, on like oh, a okay, daily okay, on a daily okay. basis, if not multiple times a day. I'm like you've seriously mm. been doing this the long way or it's right here. It's right here, Kim. Yeah, it's in, in the moment, my younger son, he is 12, he gives me that daily, because he's so sweet. And I didn't really ask him to be that. But he chose to be my accountability buddy for my and you have my permission to laugh now about me. Here in my office, I have in a corner a so called power plate. This is a little sportive uh, gymnastic, like a machine, which has a plate on the bottom which vibrates. So you stand on it, and it shakes your whole body. It serves uh, with strength your uh, tissue and your muscular system, etc. It's a simple machine, got it from Amazon. It takes uh, 10 minutes to run through it and do a bit of exercising. It's so good for my health and my body. It's right here, like an arm's reach beside my desk, and I forget to use it. So, duh, my son now, my 12-year-old, he asked me now every evening, hi, mommy, how was your day? Did you go on your plate? And so this week, it was really this, duh, no, I didn't, because it's so right in front of my nose I see it I'm right now I'm talking to you I can see it and this is the things when whatever is in your life or in your brain or it's so close to us that we get so used to it the brain doesn't recognize it any longer it doesn't distinguish it it, as something special that you should give attention to so as it is now this power plate in my office for me loving to learn and perceiving my whole life as my school to figure out why God has sent me on this planet, it was so natural, so close to me, I couldn't see it. So now, thanks God to my little one, I was yesterday on the plate, and I'm going on the plate after we stop talking here with each other. So sometimes we need this accountability or someone else to push our nose into it so that we can smell and see what is right in front of us. Oh, absolutely. There was a time about a year ago that I had a client who was using Excel or Word and kept on sending me the documents. And my son was sitting here watching, and they both use Google Docs or Google Drive in school. I don't know if that's just becoming standard, but I know both my kids use it. And I have a 12-year-old son, too, and he said to me, and this was a year ago, he said, Mom, why aren't you using Google Docs? That way you wouldn't need to keep on emailing them back and forth and waiting for the other one to get it back to you. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You just saved us hours. We can both be in there editing. Isn't it a tiny bit embarrassing that now our kids are such so much more competent with new technology that they are teaching us? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is so bad. I don't want to embarrass my husband here. My husband, the reason why my current businesses, business, I, don't, I guess it's a biz, one business now, the reason why he even got started in 2012 was because he had gone back to school and we needed some more money because he wasn't working. And part of his being in college was he needed to do all the math classes that he had not done in high school because he dropped out early and algebra was one of them. Mm. And here's another example of how things have changed. My kids, I mean, this was this was 2012 that he's doing it. So 12-year-old... No, I guess it wouldn't have been him. It would have been my older one who would have been nine. He's like, he looks at the homework that my husband's doing. He's like, oh, that's algebra. I'm doing that in class now. And he's like, oh, you just got to do this and this and this and this. And my husband was there struggling. Mm. And 
and I'm not trying to, my husband is not a math brain. He is brilliant at so many other areas, but algebra is not one of them. And he just, my husband looked at me, he's like, what? The nine-year-old knows how to do my homework and I can't figure it out. And I felt so bad, but I just, at the same time, I was amazed. But did you know that they're not really teaching cursive in schools anymore? Yes, to my shock, and I was fighting with that, with especially yes. my little one. I bought him this uh, wipe-out uh, thick books you get at pharmacies for children when they start learning to write because I wanted him to learn to write cursive. And I'm always trying to motivate him, like saying, come on, it's your German heritage. You're born in Germany and we still write in cursive. I, I, I try all these things and they just look at me, mom, da. <laughs> So they will always have screens. So when we watch sci-fis where they have these like doomsday, all electricity breaks down and no computers work, etc. I always turn to my boys and say, see, maybe one day there is no electricity. What do you do then with your all your screens? And you need to exchange messages and you can't even write by hand any longer because you only are used to typing or swiping. <laughs> This is where my brain is conservative. I think handwriting is such a dying art, sadly. It is. And I'm so happy when someone sends me a postcard, which is really handwritten. Yeah, not just one of those fake ones that they buy. Oh, God, I hate those fake ones. Yeah. Like, if you print something, then show it its print. But don't lie to me by faking it into a nice cursive font. But everything is so perfect. And <laughs> Mark and is a joke. They know this now. They make now these fake uh, ink blotches <laughs> on this printed marketing Do they really? Letter. I haven't yes. gotten one of those yet. They try to make them look messy in order to make them look real. But even the messiness is so perfect that it's it's a joke. I mean, it's, yeah, let's not go there. That's, that's like the robocallers who yes. um, who try to make you think that they're human. Have you, and, and I'll ask them, are you a robot? And they'll, they always have the same, <laughs> they have a canned laugh. Did you know that? No, do I sound like I'm a robot? I was like, okay, then where were you born? I'm sorry, I don't understand your question. What yes. year were you born in? I'm sorry, I don't understand your question. Where are you calling from today? I, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, you know, they'll, they'll say the company name. I'm like, no, where are you calling from today? And then they'll repeat like the same. But there's wow, like three second pause. Yeah, you're well, patient. I, I have, have to have dialogue fun. with them. <laughs> I have to have fun once in a while. You know, my husband, actually, after our twins were born, there was a real telemarketer that called and woke up the twins and they can't hang up. So he put the phone right in between them while they were screaming, crying. <laughs> so, oh yeah. yeah, poor person. I have a memory of another da uh, a few months ago, which uh, was crucial for my business. As a businesswoman, you know, we have to deal sometimes with Excel sheets, it, not only for bookkeeping, but for all sorts of projects to get things organized, project management, etc. And even though I think I'm over the average intelligent, Excel sheets just eluded me. I couldn't work with Excel sheets. My brain went blank. Every time I look at a screen and I see these black lines on white, I literally, when I go stupid, till a friend of mine asked me, Sylvia, are you not an artist? And I said, yeah, why? Well, do you love color, don't you? And I said, yeah, sure, I love color. Oh my gosh, I can just go into like a shop like Michael's and just go through the aisles with all the colors and the paint and just have feel my soul sucking in joy and 
and energy and vibration. So she asked me, well, why don't you change all your Excel sheets and make them colorful and color coded and make the boxes colorful? Oh, my gosh, that changed my business life. Yeah, it empowered you in your work and made you happy to see these. It makes me happy to see them and it turns on in my brain a different area. Now I can't even read the information in the Excel sheets, which before were just like bite a poo on a wall. I couldn't read the numbers in these white boxes, in these black caged lines. But now being just colorful, it's so fascinating to see how knowing yourself is such an the foundation for empowerment. Know yourself and what you need and bring that into everything you do. Like me now bringing color into everything administrative in my business because administration is not my strengths. I love that. Absolutely. And when I, st I noticed a huge shift, not just by putting my color, I mean, the turquoise color listeners that you see on my site and on the, the logo of your listening and Stitcher <laughs> or iTunes, that is my color. And it wouldn't feel like my show if it wasn't, I mean, I can even give you the hex code. That's how much a color <laughs> it is, yes. right? Yes. So just by bringing that in, that made a huge difference. But then when I also made the shift from chasing income to wanting to make an impact that made yes. that empowered me so much more too because I love what I do now when I am up late working until way past midnight let's just put it that way listeners I still get my sleep you know how sleep how important sleep is to me and how important it is to me that you are getting it but it's because I'm totally passionate about it. Last night, I was talking to a client at 1am Eastern, and my eyes were crossing, but I was so passionate. And then finally, I just had to say, you know what, I'm not going to give you good answers anymore. I need to get sleep and I'll be at my best when I get up in the morning. And Beautiful. Yeah, but we need to know that we need to stop disempowering us. Is that the right word? Disempowering? Yep. Yep. Perfect. By doing things that don't feel good in all areas of our life. Can I disagree in one aspect? Please. I love that you're going to disagree, please. Okay, so for me, I know, and I speak now for myself and my clients, I know there are always exceptions. When we step out of our comfort zone, there is a phase where even the things which later will feel good don't feel good at the start. So oh. if, we, if I only would go for what is always feeling good, I wouldn't change much in my life I wouldn't grow I didn't even so, think about that because I get excited stepping out of my comfort zone it still feels good it feels damn scary but it still feels good yeah but for it, me it's for me I, it shows up the most in my life around my body like going back to the gym after a time of where I was traveling too often or was sick and not going the first few times I have sore muscles and I feel stiff and I don't I mean even a beautiful relax supposed to be relaxing yoga class can be the first two three times torturous for me but I know if I gently lovingly move through that phase of uncomfortability it will feel good it's like a fine distinction not to do things in business which just stay feeling horrible and and you always have to struggle with your resistance please delegate everything like that but there are other things where i know there is a phase of not feeling good till i get to feel good if that makes sense oh definitely i mean to me being in the comfort zone is boring as all heck i just get bored when i know exactly what i'm doing there needs to be that excitement of trying something new and 
I mean, I'm going through a launch right now. I can't even tell you how many mistakes have happened just because we've tried new things. But some of those, some of those new things haven't been mistakes. They've been amazing. Mm. Gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, there have been the ads that were converting at $10 a lead. And then there have been the ads that were converting at less than a dollar. But you don't know what's going to work until you try. Yep. I'm a public speaker for many, many years, and there's still like a magic door. Every time I step onto a stage, there is like this invisible energetic door right at the edge of the stage. When I move through that for a brief moment, my whole subconscious mind, my ego, whatever parts of me like are screaming, are trying to distract me. Come on, Sylvia, run away. Don't do that. Don't expose yourself. Don't go on it. Don't go on the stage. What, what if they don't like you, kill you, don't understand you, da, 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 da. So I just have to move through that door. And then when I'm on stage in the middle, reaching out and connecting with the audience, then the bliss starts. And then I forget myself, my ego steps aside, and I'm just a servant and and speak and speak and connect and, and deliver value and transformation. And even though I'm doing this for years now, there's still, and the, the, the moment gets shorter and shorter, and um, the intensity gets less and less, but there is still this moment, this magic door, I like to call it, where I step through this tiny phase of uncomfortability because, oh my gosh, I'm stepping up onto a stage, make myself visible, and share my heart out, my most intimate nuggets or beliefs or insights. And there's always danger because you never know what happened, who is in the audience, etc. So I think this is just part of the human growth experience that we all have our magic doors or phases and some are bigger, some are smaller. But I would not, I mean, I never allowed it to stop me. And I'm grateful for myself that I never allowed this phase of fear and uncomfortable comfortability to stop me from what I know I have to do. Oh, I love that. I, for the longest time, thought that I had to plan everything and that everything had to go to plan (laughs) in order to be successful. And one of the guests that I spoke with earlier this week, it's been a week, listeners, I can't remember who it was at this very moment. I'll put it in the show notes, though, said that perfectionism can actually be one of our greatest failures because it Mm. holds us back so often. And that just struck a chord with me. There is no, I mean, I don't even try to plan my typical day. I I know what I need to get done and I know it will get done. And I have an awesome tool, Focuster, that schedules stuff into my calendar. And sometimes I get it done when it's scheduled in there. And sometimes it gets done two two hours later than it was supposed to. If I'm going to get upset and worried and stressed and anxious and all of the above because things aren't going as planned, that's going to make for a miserable day. And I know there's some people who need that. It's just not for me. But I think that that flexibility as well. I mean, also, I had set my own ceiling going way back to the beginning of this conversation. I had set my own ceiling very early on in my business. I Mm. didn't think... I I looked at what other people were charging for virtual assistance services because that's what I started at. I'm I'm not doing virtual assistance anymore. And I was wondering, how can they justify charging that much? So for a good year after the business was started, we struggled financially because I just didn't see where there was value there. And I think so many people, men and women alike, don't see their own value and they hold themselves back. 
Totally. That's a key issue. Self-worth, confidence, it's all intertwined. And perfectionism is an enemy of Mm self-worth because we are human. I mean, per definition, being human means we are messy. We are imperfect. And there is the perfection. There is the beauty in it. So that is a huge mindset shift, but also a soul shift for my female clients to discover the beauty and perfection in the human messiness and embrace it all. The ugly, the beautiful, the messiness, the officially non-perfect things as being perfect. Because if we always wait till everything is perfect, we procrastinate all important things till our moment of death. I mean, for me, perfectionism equals procrastination because it's never perfect enough. You always can add something or change something or tweak something. Is it your web page? Is it a new product? Is it your launch sequence? If you always wait for the perfect moment and everything is perfect, you will not do it. So women who want to live their dream life and make a career and make more money, they one step is to embrace their imperfect as the perfect way of being because otherwise they yeah they miss their life oh I love that I had that with one of my own marketing funnels I thought I had to have the whole thing bill and the whole program (laughs) at the end done before I pushed go but there was actually a 30-day sequence at the beginning no a 28-day sequence of 10 emails (laughs) over the course of 28 days before they would even get to what it was at the end I was like, why are you waiting? You could be having people come in now and continue working. And it was the best decision I could have made because immediately I had people start coming in. And to be totally honest, people, to this day, I still don't have the end product created, but they are still getting value from me for what I offer at the beginning. And they're still talking to me and they're still listening. You're you're listening, whoever you are. Thank you for being here listening. You might have come through that funnel. And I don't even know that what I had originally planned for the end is what's going to be there. And I think that all of us can say the same thing. Looking to the future from our past is probably very different from what we see now looking into the future. Yes, and you just said a nugget regarding you couldn't have planned for it or something you said. A few days ago, I was speaking at a mastermind group as the guest speaker, and I have been there in the same group a few months ago. And one of the participants approached me and said, Sylvia, you pr- my name is so-and-so. You probably don't know that you changed my life forever. And I was completely startled because, yeah, I didn't know. She said, well, last time when you were here and we were uh, chatting, I, I ch- shared with you that I love to be challenged. So when people say to me, oh, so-and-so, you can't do that, then I know I will prove them wrong. And you, Sylvia, you just, by the way, you just said this one sentence, oh, you will always choose the hard way. And then you went on to talk with someone else. And that sentence, you always choose the hard way, bam, was such a big knock on my head, it changed my life because I realized I didn't allow myself to have it easy. And now I do. And my whole life is more easy and more fulfilled. So thank you, Sylvia, for changing my life with this one comment. Wow. I mean, I nearly cried because for me, getting this feedback, I realized we never know 
We plan so much. We plan our workshops, our appearances, our speeches, but we don't really know what will make an impact. Mm -hmm. I have no memory that I spoke with that woman nearly a year ago that I made this side comment. And that side comment, unplanned, just channeled in the moment of a conversation, changed her life. Wow. So, and everyone, including all the, your listeners, I believe we all are changing people's lives without having planned for it. And we don't even know it. You just changed my life because when you just said uh, you don't allow it to be easy, that just struck a chord with me. I was like, I need to allow things to be easy. Because hmm. to this day, I make things, uh, too many things, not everything, a lot harder than it needs to be. But there are so many things I could just allow to be easy. Hmm. I could allow cleaning around my house to be easy. I could be... Allowing client interaction to be easy. I mean, sometimes easy just means saying I'm not available right now or just not responding. Um, <laughs> there are some clients I can do that too. Some clients I can't. Mm. Sylvia, you know which one I can't right now. But, <laughs> you know, you don't need to be everywhere for everybody all the time or you're going to be making it hard for every mm. for yourself. You make it easier for everybody else, but you're making it hard for you. Mm. So. Thank you for sharing that. I got goosebumps when you quoted me with allow myself things to be easy. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, there's a tweetable, folks. It's going to be right there in the episode show notes, which, by yeah. the way, you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP364. Hey, I finally figured out how to make podcasting easy with just a simple, of all things, a Google Doc where I keep track of all upcoming episodes because I mean, that was one of those. Oh, duh. Like duh, Kim, <laughs> why don't you just have a Google doc and favorite it in Chrome so you can pull it up before each episode. You can share it with the team. There's not 15 gazillion documents all over. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. I need to make more things more easy. Sylvia, I have loved every second of this chat. I want to know where, listeners can find you online where they can connect and all that great stuff so the easiest way is to go to my webpage, which is the usual sweet www dot and then my family name becker hill b-e-c-k-e-r hyphen h-i-l-l dot com which is my school webpage. and there are different uh, several buttons where they can choose to either opt in in the uh, pre-notification for the fall rollout of all the courses where they can order a catalog that is really the easiest way there's also a contact button if they want to ask a question to anything we discussed here today I am still the one who's reading those inquiries and answering them myself. And I'm also on Facebook with a business page. My name is Sylvia Becker Hill, one word, no hyphen, and then the three letters fan, F A N, for fan page on, on Facebook. Sylvia Becker Hill fan. I do Facebook lives. Also, there they can message me, I answer. I love real human interaction. Because there's too many robots, as you quoted today so nicely, already starting to be around us. Oh, my gosh. I'm laughing over here because I do have a bot on my Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. But I then answer. So there's one yeah. step robot who says, thank you for your message or thank you for reaching out. It's a, I have a cute icon, a cute uh, comic figure with a robot helm and a unicorn horn, etc. But uh, yeah, it Love has it. to be us. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, awesome. Thank you so much again for being here. And listeners, once again, you can find all those links on the show notes page at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP364. Sylvia, do you have a last piece of parting advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? I will take from your conversation here today with me the ODAR, and I will look out for those. And this is my invitation for you listeners. I think we are constantly learning. Our brain is a passionate learning machine. And I think when we don't give it positive conscious attention, we miss our own learning. So I invite all of us today and over the weekend, go through your everyday life and look out for the ODAR Kim moments, <laughs> the Oda moments where you realize, wow, this is another way where I can make my life more easy, allow easiness to penetrate my life. And I just learned something wonderful. Oda. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.